Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Today, we have an awesome episode planned for you guys. We have Gario Harrison, who is somebody we've known for quite a while. Gario, you and I go way, go way back, I think, at this point. And Gario's got an awesome case study for us from, uh, I guess we can say, his past life. Uh, he's currently a partner in two different ventures. One is a uh, sales training company called Closers Media, and another is a revenue-focused marketing agency called Curious. And Gario is going to tell us about how he went to battle with WeWork when they came to town here to Minneapolis. So, And how he pretty much, I'm not going to say single-handedly, I know it was a team effort, but saved the business of another local co-working space. So Gario, let's let's just dive right in. Tell us about what happened. Awesome. Well, Mike and Gabby, thank you so much for having me. This is this is exciting. And the the thing I will say, like I've never told this story publicly before. So this is an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we brought you here. <laughs> yes, right. we're excited. Awesome. So okay, let me let me set the stage, right? So it was forget the the year, but we were so Coco. This was before Fuel Collective. So Coco was the kind of the, the the big dog in town, right? We were the co-working was 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 on the rise. You know, we were able to grow to five locations organically just because it was so new. The ecosystem was being built out. There was a lot of exciting buzz, you know, around startups and small businesses and and, and so on. The you know, local mayorships and community was was all about helping small businesses and startups grow. And co-working was kind of at the center of that narrative, right? So that was the stage in, in the height before we work entered the, the, the picture. Now, you know, as with all things, once something's working, you know, you see a lot of other players come into the market, right? So where there's a lot of other smaller co-working spaces that started popping up that were niche. But we were fine because we had established our value proposition. And if you wanted to be in an environment that was kind of at the core of everything that was going on, Coco was the place to be, right? Enter WeWork. Now, this was before, you know, everyone kind of heard all the the, the stories with, with, with SoftBank and, and everything, you know, that ended up being true about the WeWork saga. This was a scary time, right? Because here we are, we're a little bit mature in the market. We have, look at our projections and our planning. We have, you know, kind of expenses that are coming up to refresh the spaces and continue to grow. We've grown organically to this point. So we didn't allocate a ton of money to marketing um, because we were doing such a good job attracting existing members via word of mouth, right? And, you know, showing up in the news, that sort of thing. PR. Gary, really quick, just to maybe confirm, back then, I'm trying to remember, 
you mentioned five locations, but then I think you had a few more and you guys were going outside of the Twin Cities too, right? I think you had, did you have like locations outside of Minnesota even, or am I imagining that? No, no, absolutely. So we had locations here in Chicago and then we also, and this is where Coco became Field Collective, we were in the process of transitioning to a franchise model with a flagship location in Cincinnati and New York, right? So the plan was, um, to, to expand nationally. And then when, uh, you know, was it the, the quote from Mike Tyson? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? And I think you, you guys got, you guys got clobbered. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, you know, it, it was one of these things where, I, you know, I like to say, you know, game recognized game. So I recognize good marketers or good strategies when I see it. And I, I, I'll be honest, I, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. I got nervous when I saw we were coming into talent because I've seen what they've done in other markets. They had a really strong brand. They had, they tapped into this idea of entrepreneurship and starting and, you know, their brand narrative was just so well done. Adam Newman was, was a charismatic speaker. I don't know what they were paying for PR, but they were everywhere. So if, you know, you look at us in this local market, nobody knew this, but we had this five-year plan to rapidly grow and all of a sudden to your point you know punched in the face right like <laughs> they come in with with literally a blank check and they can do whatever they want so gario you had mentioned to us that some of the tactics that we work was doing kind of entering into the twin cities market and other markets was a little subversive maybe even a little i don't know if unethical is the right word but definitely subversive you were the general manager at coco is that correct no or... i was the, the director of of marketing operations and technology okay yes so you, so you were full-time at Coco at the time and okay, so you just, so we're, we're entering the stage where boom, you just got punched in the face. WeWork is coming in. They've got this blank check. They've got this, like you said, this charismatic speaker, Adam Newman, PR left and right, a sexy brand, sexy marketing. And now all of a sudden they've entered into the Twin Cities area and you're starting to see some shady things their marketing team was doing. So tell us what was going on. So shady is a strong word. I would use aggressive, right? So the co-working industry, there started to be kind of networks of, of masterminds, right? So, you know, we were a part of the Google for Entrepreneurs group, you know, that ecosystem and a part of another um, network of co-working spaces called the League of Extraordinary Co-working Spaces. So the co-working partners talk to each other, right? And we heard some of the things that WeWork would do you know, they'd come into a market, they'd have these beautiful spaces in class A buildings, and they would, you know, offer to buy out the, the existing leases of members so they could break their lease and come over to WeWork. They would send champagne to members, right, of these co-working spaces, because it's easy to find them, right? You look at the location, any company that has that address is a potential WeWork customer, right? So they're, if, in, as far as finding their total addressable market or their ideal client profile, they knew what it is. It is every member from the competition, right? They would do things like throw parties right outside the door of other co-working spaces. So, you know, they did bring up their, their speakers and, you know, I mean, one thing we were, knew how to do was throw a party, right? So they would 
have these these awesome events right outside co-working spaces. And if you're if you're in a co-working space that is branded around work and getting stuff done and you know so on, and you see the shiny object that is less than the cost of your existing rent, and they're willing to give you months for free if you sign a long-term commitment with them, and they look like everybody's just having a grand old time. Um, as a competitor, it's hard to to keep people excited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking and as you were kind of painting this picture for us, I couldn't help but go back to a, a very vivid image in my mind of like college frat houses, you know, during like frat week when they're trying to recruit new <laughs> new members. One hundred percent. Like very like. I hate to use the word because it's, it may not apply here, but bro culture a little bit, you know, getting people in, boozing it up, partying it up, you know, being very in your face, very loud, very um, boisterous and, and sexy. And man, that's, that's some hard competition to deal with. It was, it, it was brutal. It was rough, but yeah, you know, and it, one thing that I will add there is we were always a fiscally responsible organization, right? So in terms of revenue spend, like a majority of my time in terms of planning and strategy was less on marketing best practices. It was working with our CFO to define what can we actually afford to do? What can we afford to cash flow? And, you know, what is an acceptable payback period for any strategy that we're about to deploy? So it became less about the, you know, Don and Kyle would set the vision, you know, here's the hill we need to go take. And you know, the rest of the team, the rest of the leadership team from sales, my seat, the CFO and operations would be, how are we going to get there? And, you know, our CFO, his role was, how do we get there fiscally responsibly, right? So a lot of time was spent trying to make the math work. We could not figure, we could not reverse engineers a WeWork's marketing strategy. Like I, I put together, here's exactly what they're probably, the text that they're probably using and here's what it's gonna look like. How do we replicate it over here? Like literally impossible. Like the, the math just didn't work. So yeah, that that was that was what we're up so against. What, so what did you guys do? That's the that's the interesting part. But before we do that, Mike, I'd like to ask Ari a question. And I don't know if you have this data handy or if you're able to share, but can you share with us if if possible, what was the, the what was the bottom line impact right, you know, right then and there with with this new this incumbent entering the market? Did you start to see memberships drop? Like what was going on behind the scenes that caused you to pull out all your hair? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's a, a perfect segue. It, it was brutal because what was happening was we were seeing members leave just straight up. Like people were just leaving because it was cool over there. The grass is always greener. And it just, you know, we just started losing members left and right. We had a few anchor tenants that would not go anywhere because they, they saw the value in what we did. But the shorter term, smaller companies and so on, it's very easy to pick up and, and, and move around. Now, ironically, a lot of them ended up coming back because the, to, to your point, Gabby, like the, the bro culture was definitely there. And it was, you know, at some point, your business has to be cash flow relevant, not just, you know, a cool, cool party, right? So a lot of the, the companies that ended up realizing, okay, the culture isn't what we need in order to grow our business. So they ended up coming back, not just to us, but to other co-working spaces that they were a part of, but that it, the impact was real. We, we lost a lot of members. And as you can imagine, the part of the reason why you, you join a co-working space, you know, 
in the beginning is the community, right? And as members are leaving, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy that less and less people are there on a day-to-day -day basis. Therefore, you you know the value of of showing up every day, if all you were there for was the community, became less and less. Right. Did you guys try to compete initially? Uh, sort of, I don't know, did you throw your own parties or did you uh, work on programming? Like, I'm assuming there was some sort of initial kind of, or maybe knee jerk reaction to it. And then. Yeah. So fortunately we didn't do a lot of throwing stuff at the wall to see what stuck, but we did, you know, as a leadership team, we really did brainstorm and, and try like, how do we replicate what they are doing and in the short term you are to your point like yeah we were trying to figure out how do we chase them down and you know again you know with the, our cfo you put together the plan you put together the numbers and then you see if we can actually execute it properly and make the numbers work and every time we put together a plan and you know stress test it against just the realities of our base assumptions it'll come back like it's not a good move right so in terms of throwing parties couldn't do that at scale the way that that they were doing it you know another place where we ended up thinking that we would go after and just it was impossible to compete was in paid advertising right like ppc so you know here you have you know they're they're bidding on our name they're bidding on every competitor's name they're bidding on every word that we could possibly think of and you know essentially and i remember it like it was yesterday when you know Ken, Ken Wood, who was our CFO at the time, you know, he looked around and he was like, when I put together the, the PPC plan, you know, he asked the question. So basically this plan means that what we're doing is paying Google and Facebook and LinkedIn, you know, spending all these other dollars that we could be spending in other places to try and compete with them. We know we're not going to win because they just have way more budget than we do, that cannot be the plan, right? So we definitely, you know, looked at that and said, PPC is not going to be the strategy either. I want to highlight this because this is definitely a situation that I would say a lot of definitely startups these days are facing for different reasons. But I mean, you know, paid media is more and more expensive. You know, there's a lot of new players and they come in and there are incumbents and, you, you know, and a lot of these keywords are keywords and Facebook as it's just, it's not, it's not a viable strategy where you can just go dump a bunch of money in and think that this is going to work. Like you have to have something else there. So actually I, I back over to you or actually no, Gabby, you, you want to add something first. The only thing that I wanted to say and sort of emphasize for those that are listening is what, what you said earlier, Gario, you said we didn't throw a bunch of spaghetti on the wall. We didn't just go out there and just like, okay, let's throw parties. Let's send booze. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, and, and for those that know Gario, and hopefully we have a lot of people listening today that know him personally, we have the good fortune of not only knowing him personally, but also having had the opportunity to work with Gario. We know very well that you don't just go out there and as a marketer, and just throw things around. You have an operations title that back then with Coco and currently in your two positions as partner with Closers Media. Shout out to Mikolai, have to do that. And curious, you are chief operation officer in, in, in both of those ventures. Um, you are very deliberate. And, and again, those listening, those knowing you today are going to just silently chuckle to themselves because they know 
that you're not going to go ahead and do that. And I think it's a really smart strategy for marketers listening today. You know, now your your situation with Coco and WeWork is very um, niche. It's very exclusive to what you were going through. Many people today are not going to have that same exact case study, but but it's a really valuable lesson to say, okay, you have an incumbent, you have somebody coming into your space, you get punched in the face, knee jerk reaction. Oh my God, what do we do? And what you did, which I love, is you really partnered deliberately with everyone on the leadership team from sales all the way to finance. And you guys said, okay, what are they doing? You broke it down and you looked at their tactics and you looked at some of the things they were doing. And then you said, can we even replicate this? Is this even possible with our cash flow, with our bandwidth, with the people that we have on our team? Is this even possible to do this? And I'm just so glad and, and, and grateful that you shared that with us on the call today, because I think as marketers in general, we get hyper scared sometimes or, or like, oh my God, we have to do this. We have to jump. Marketers are kind of like, you know, squirrel. We hear something, we see something, we got to go, we got to jump to it. And, and marketers are generally scared of the CFO. <laughs> right? yes. yes. So, so I just wanted to underscore that point because it was a brilliant point and it just so poignantly encapsulate who you are as a marketing leader. So I, that was just really what I wanted to say, but we've left our audience on a cliffhanger because you've set the stage. We now know that there's a real threat. You've done all the math and it's not possible to compete at their level. You've looked at all the tactics. So don't leave us hanging, Gario. What happened next? All right. So the the first of all, Gabby and, and Mike, like I, I absolutely love what you guys do as well. I love the the intention that you guys are, are working to put this this together because I think this this type of thinking and just conversation is what needs to happen if our industry is going to survive this next phase, right? We really have to be more aligned with business outcomes, right? Not just, not just, you know, whatever return on investment we can, uh, you know, agree to that's not literally tied to revenue. And that's, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll double, double click the, the, the shout out to Mikolai is, Everything I learned about how do you collaborate with sales as a marketer, I learned from him, right? He like, you know, coffee and closers, you know, you, you get to talk with so many amazing sales leaders out there and you get to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, but figuring out what about what they're saying you need to internalize is something that Mikolai has done a really good job of teaching me how to do, which ironically was one of the strategies that we ended up deploying in combating WeWork. So you, you see that? You see, you see you segue? I do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I this love is it. why I want to have you on the show. <laughs> you were making me blush. I was getting teary-eyed. And yet we're still all here waiting for this cliffhanger. So give it to us. All right. So, <laughs> you know, throwing things at the wall. And this is something that marketers, we're really good at, right? Is coming up with ideas. But... It's okay to brainstorm and come up with the idea, come up with a plan, you know, and not spend the dollars on it. Because what you're doing at that point is you're, you're, you're stress testing your, your, your ideas, right? But at some point, the ones that you choose to move forward with have to be aligned with the, with the outcome that the business is trying to accomplish, right? In Fuel's case, at the time, it was how do we create value for the members that are still here? Like the people that are still here, why are they here? 
and how do we create value for them, right? Real quick, sorry to interrupt. Something I want to ask, which I think is related to what you're talking about is when we're talking about business outcomes, you mentioned that the strategy was, hey, we're going to move to a franchise model. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when a big incumbent comes in or a big competitor comes in and is pretty much, you know, eating your lunch, not too many people are going to be excited to jump on that, on that franchise train. Right. So would it, what happened with that? What, did that entire strategy get put on hold as you guys were kind of figuring out what to do here? Or was that part of the outcomes that you were stress testing against in terms of, okay, we're going to be moving to a franchise model. How do we maintain what we're doing and still do this other thing? Yeah. So, okay. Great, great question. And the answer to that is the plan was still to move forward. And again, this is where marketers really have to understand like the ins and outs and intricacies of the bit. I know more about franchising than I ever thought I would know, right? Because you have to understand the mechanics and the, the levers that actually, you know, move a particular model forward, right? So figuring out how we were going to make this work and make it still relevant if we were going to go down this path of a franchise still became a constraint that we had to account for because that train had already left the barn. Right. Like it was in sort of due diligence at that point to convert into that franchise model. So retreat was not an option, if you will. Got it. Perfect. Thank you for answering that. Cause I think that that's important to, for everybody to understand, because again, it's one of those things where I think also sometimes as marketers, you kind of, okay, well, this thing happened. It's not, not working. We're going to throw the entire plan out and we're going to go do something else, which from a business perspective, that's very often not an option. Right. Yeah, it, it, it really does come down to, you know, in this case, it was, you know, really understanding what are the components of the business model that we need to make sure that we preserve and what do we have flexibility with, right? So, you know, an example would be we had events as a revenue stream. Well, we had to basically write that down to zero because the cost to create events and our ability to compete at the level that we need to, in order to, to compete with like a WeWork or, you know, there are some other companies that were kind of in that event space. It was, you know, pretty much impossible. So we wrote that number down to zero and tried to figure out, okay, well, where can we make up that difference that we have knowing that a we're losing members. And at the same time, you know, these other revenue streams that we had planned or modeled out was not going to be relevant. And again, just to clarify for everybody listening, when you're saying events, you're talking about people paying you to host events in your spaces, not you doing, not you running events to attract tenants. Right. We had a combination of both. So we ended up, and this is kind of the payoff of the cliffhanger, the, the climactic scene, if you will. We ended up realizing that when, when we ran the numbers again, and again, we're basically moving numbers around from everybody's vantage point from sales, you know, can we sell this? from, you know, from finance, can we afford to actually execute this? And if, if, if we don't get it right, what's the impact, the vision of the organization from Don and Kyle, like what is the non-negotiables in terms of where we want to go and from marketing, from my seat, like how do we get it done? Right. And, you know, the revenue stream that after moving everything around that kept showing up as being sustainable was what we called non-member meetings, right? So these are people that, you know, can book one of our meeting spaces for, you know, they're not a member of, of Fueled, of Cocoa at the time, 
but they still can book a meeting room to have an offsite or something like that. And, you know, again, this is where data and research are really important and looking at it from a marketing, not just a marketing, but from a sales lens as well, mm -hmm. to really identify, you know, what the opportunities are, right? Because we were seeing that revenue come through. We weren't actively marketing against it, right? But it was consistent revenue. If you think about the business model of number of meetings, you have to put down a deposit so that cash flow becomes working capital, you know, the second someone books. And now you can plan how many um, of these meetings that we need to sell in order to reach our cash flow goals, right? So, and then there's a, you know, you talk about proof point, it's, you know, is this something that is happening without marketing accelerating it at that point, right? And the, yeah, right, there were three, there were three types of meetings that we were seeing. There were people that we would call experienced designers. So they would like, you know, book the entire trading floor and create something massive, really great ROI, really great margins on it. Very hard to find those consistently, right? The second type that we were, we were seeing were like, you know, more intimate wedding type, type things. Again, not business related, but still kind of experience based and then just half day meetings. So again, you know, it's here, here we have a, after we've done the modeling, this revenue stream that is working. So then the next question was, okay, where are we going to find these people? So we, again, we are combing through our CRM and we're looking at, you know, of all of these that we've booked recently in the last year, what do they have in common? Like yeah. the identifiable. Did you talk to some of those customers? Oh, 100%, 100%. Because again, you know, this is where messaging strategy becomes really important is we can look at the data and we can build out personas. I think we had, I forget the, the, the personas now, but you know, we had names for them. We knew who they were. Like we, we had the, the demographic data around them, but at, at some point you have to actually have a conversation with those folks to find out, okay, if we can find you guys, what is the message um, that we need to be saying to you that makes you a, are we reaching you when the problem that your that our, our product or service solves shows up? Can we reach you at that time? And B, can we, you know, create a compelling enough narrative for you to take the next step, have the sales conversation, right? Um, basically get you into our CRM. What is it going to take me to get you into our CRM? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm raising my hand here for those watching the video because I know Mike is going to jump in and I have a burning question. Gario, you you have given us the perfect sort of, what's the word, release. You know, we're waiting on the cliffhanger and you've told us what it is, but I want to really dial in and I don't, and I, and I wonder if you can think back, take us back into your mind palace. What was the exact number or notation or, or metric, or what was the exact thing that you, like that pinpoint on the map that you said, oh my God, guys, this is it. Like, how did you come, how did you all come to this realization? Because I think we're all curious to understand, okay, this is a really brilliant, you know, realization, but how did, how the heck did he get there? So tell us, what was that moment? Yeah, so, so, you know, so again, we've identified the revenue stream that we can actually impact. We know 
how we model it out and say we can if we can reach x amount we can actually like sustain the business you know ken did that work and we kind of knew what that number was and we know that in the crm we have closed deals that are in that pipeline right we had you know three three pipelines we had individual membership we had group membership and we had what we were calling events but it was you know meetings and and just events in general literally what we did was we took that pipeline analyzed it exported all the the deals that we've done since the beginning of opening the co-working space right so there was a little bit of manual labor to, to figure that out and then we put the people that actually were a part of the conversation who were the ones that were saying you know who was who was signing the check who was approving it and really dialing in who those individuals were now the the part of it that's like um you know kind of data driven is we're, we're syncing up linkedin data with with contact information right so we're really understanding it's not just guessing you know did this person say they were an executive assistant or an admin or a you know or uh, events coordinator or whatever like what is their title and how are they representing themselves online right and we literally just pie charted it out we put the we put the, the the folks into those three buckets and we did an analysis what percentage of the closed deals that we had in our pipeline currently and that we have closed historically, which means we 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 can replicate it over and over again when we have the, the tracker to do that, what is the breakdown of that demographic? And it was a no-brainer, right? It was people that are in a administrative function at Fortune 500 um, companies that are either helping directors and up schedule offsites. And the one aha for us was it was cheap enough to just be put on someone's corporate card, right? And it was not complex enough that the meeting coordinators at those organizations would be responsible for, for closing those deals. Because again, and Mike, you mentioned this, actually talking to people became really important because understand, so sometimes you would see, you know, the, the, the admin for a, de a department showing up over and over again right but we'd also see the meeting coordinator from that company as well but when we you know dug into the meeting coordinators at these companies which i didn't know that you can be certified in being a meeting coordinator right those folks usually have larger relationships with the hyatt with the marriott and so on so that will always be their first go-to so there's nothing that we can say that's going to make that because they you know you, you never get fired for for buying microsoft right so they're, they're never going to veer off to this new cool thing over here to to have a meeting however if you're the, the the vp of innovation and you need a space with a bunch of whiteboards and you want your team to be inspired to figure out what you're doing next the 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 instructions to whoever is responsible for finding that venue is find a cool space to do this right that was our aha so you know you, you don't get that from the crm yeah 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 you the, the the crm and this is something that i think is, is worth mentioning too the crm makes you directionally correct but then you have to actually talk to real people right like and that's you either need to talk to real people or get really friendly with your sales team right because the sales team 
you know, I'm curious as to kind of how we treat. Ideally, ideally both, right, Gario? I ideally I, both. I tend to argue that I don't know that you can. You you should be very friendly with your sales team, and you should be talking to them. I don't know that there's any proxy for directly speaking to your customers. I don't know that you would have gotten that same insight if you went through your sales team. At least that's my guess. Yeah, no, you need you need to do both. And so I, I'll just give you a, 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 a quick overview kind of how we do it at Curious is whenever you're coming up with that strategy and you got everybody at the table, um, sales has a very specific lens that they're looking at, you know, conversations through, right? They're, how do I move someone from one stage of the sales funnel to the next? And what, what sales is listening for is what are their objections? You know, when they sh when they show up, what are the problems that how do they see the problem, so on and so forth, right? And as a marketer, if if, if sales is saying here are these four people that if I can get more conversations with people like this, you know, I'm going to crush quota, right? As a marketer, you go, okay, well, what is it about these four people that are these these four types of people that sales is talking to? that we need to, to replicate, right? Yeah, and, and you're looking for the proof of the fact that, the, that that's actually a, a real thing. Cause it's one thing for them to tell you, yeah, this is, this is what I have to do versus, well, how did you research it? Did you look at five, 10 different options? Like, is it really a big problem for you? Cause if it's not, they're just gonna go with the cheapest. Exactly. And then from there, like once you have collaborated with your sales partner on this, the next step is to literally go and as a marketer, go talk to them because you're asking very different questions. You are thinking about things fundamentally differently and sales needs to be spending their time interacting with more and more customers, right? Because, you know, so ha having sales entering more data into the CRM, which is what most marketers you know, try to do is like, well, here's some information that I think we might need one day. So sales on top of everything that you're currently doing in an increasingly complex sales environment, please take, you know, 30 minutes per deal, writing me a novel that I can then take and come back to you for clarification around, take you out the field to have that conversation with me again. Right? Like <laughs> you, really, you really have to have empathy for the sales team as well as for your customer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Gario, I'm just sitting here laughing, smiling on the edge of my seat. I got, I had butterflies. I literally had goosebumps on my arms. And I want to reiterate for everyone listening and watching today, this is a show me the proof, get to the point exclusive. Mr. Gario Harrison has not shared this story with anyone or any other podcast or media outlet. So you are listening to an exclusive here. And I, first. Yeah. <laughs> I am just excited about that. But more than that, I am just so engaged with everything that you're telling us, because this is really a masterclass in how to work with your marketing, how to operate as a marketing leader, how to work with your sales team, how to collaborate with your CFO, with your financial officer, and also how to manage up to your boss, the CEO, who's probably saying, WF, what are we doing? Are we throwing parties? Are we doing this? What are we doing? You know? So you really were the calm in the storm. And you had to be because you had so many people, so many players coming to you and saying, Gario, what are we going to do from a marketing perspective? And what you did folks, what, what Gario did 
was he went to the data. He went straight to the data. He looked for that data. He looked for that proof point mm -hmm. and he found it and he found it. And then he talked to the people. He actually talked to the people like that, that, that right there is, is a key, key component. You know, I, I think I mentioned it, but the data makes you directionally correct. At some point, you know, once you've narrowed your focus, you have to go have a conversation with, with those individuals. And, you know, the, just to close the loop on the group that we ended up targeting and how we ended up doing it was events became a thing that we would throw for our members, right? Copy and closures is one of the events that we, you know, planned and actually brought in because it was actually going to help them grow their business. That was kind of our focus. We're not going to throw parties for the sake of throwing parties. Everything that we do is going to be designed to help our existing members grow because that's the only value proposition that we can that we can defend against right and we ended up going and saying okay the folks that are booking these meetings that are in sort of a support role what is it about them that that you know we can support in that capacity and what we ended up doing was finding all of these folks in the area right within a and again data driven right within a geographic location of one of our locations, right? The headquarters had to be in that location. Otherwise it wouldn't make sense. That was one of the filters that we used, finding the companies, finding the admins within those companies. And then, you know, one thing we found out about all of them, they're super smart, they're super driven, and they all have an entrepreneurial mindset. That was one thing they had in common. And what were we doing? We were creating events and learning opportunities for entrepreneurs. So we would literally, personally reach out to those admins and invite them to an event and while they're there letting them know you too can have a cool educational event in this space so like and if, if you notice with anything that we said there yes there was cost associated with it right because we'd have to keep the space open there was staff and so on with it but we were maximizing our existing resources what we know we were good at as a part of our marketing, right? So instead of trying to reinvent the wheel or come up with something cool and you know make a big splash and, and promote it on social. Now, part of the reason why we didn't promote it on social is we were, you know, and I'll be honest, I was definitely afraid that WeWork was gonna see it, see that we were making money on this and just offer their meeting rooms to, to non-meetings. So, so we never talked about it, right? Like it was all, like it was hand-to-hand -hand it was a fight club. So pretty much it was, I mean, you, you really, it wasn't really marketing. You were, it sounds like you were as mostly sales, right? It, from a, from a playbook perspective, right? Because you couldn't really talk about it. Yeah. So in a, in a one-to-many fashion. So that, that that's a good point. And I think it's, it's something also worth highlighting is I would consider that marketing because what we, what we were doing was we were researching an audience, finding the messaging strategy for that audience, the, the channel, to reach that audience was actually email, right? And we were bringing them into the CRM. We do not start a sales closing sequence with those folks until they were in the CRM. So until that point, they were still a marketing qualified lead. Like when I, when I- Got it, okay. So what you weren't doing outbound calls and outbound emails from your, from your sales teams? At that no, because the sales team, like, you know, if you think about it, let's say we have an event and we invite 40 admins, let's say 20 of them show up, right? Sales now has 20 folks that they need to A, identify the need, continue to nurture. And we were doing these, we we're doing probably two events, 
two events a week. So if you can imagine, that starts to compound really quickly. So from a marketing perspective, the goal is to just make those folks excited, keep them aware of the next event that's coming up, let them know what was happening, you know, remind them that there, you know, is an opportunity to book meetings here, you know, let them know that we're here to help them plan it if they need to. Like that's all communications on the marketing side of things, right? Creating mm -hmm. that value. The people that raise their hand and say, I need more information, now that's sales. And from a marketing perspective, you know, we're going in and saying, you know, how do we create the proposals that, you know, reinforce the value that we're bringing and how do we design it execution wise? That's marketing, right? But the, the relationship building and the nurturing and the conversations and the continuing to move someone from prospecting through to overcoming objections, that's a sales function. And as marketers, our role is to make sure that, A, we understand what sales is doing. We understand where, what their highest leverage activity is and how do we as marketers support them in that effort, right? Because again, they need to be spending more time talking with customers and we need to be taking that information and doing what we do best in support of what they're doing. Gario, so one question that I have for you, I mean, I have, gosh, I probably have a dozen, but I'd love to know what was the psyche? What was the mindset going on right now dur during this time? Because as marketers, you know, we get, we just can't help ourselves. We get emotionally attached to things. We get emotionally attached to ideas, to line items that we said, well, we're going to do this and, and it's going to be on our line item and we need to just, and in throughout this conversation, you've said that PPC wasn't working, take it out. Events and parties and, and gifting and that sort of thing, we can't afford it, not going to do it, take it out. So, you know, throughout this process, you're, you're removing these things at the same time, you're digging deep and coming to the problem, coming to finding that solution. You found the aha moment, but you kind of alluded to it. You were saying that you were kind of afraid that WeWork would would steal this this initiative or, or catch on. What was some of the emotions going on at Coco? You and your team and your CEO. What was happening emotionally behind the scene? You know, it's and and I, I give Kyle and, and and Don credit for this as. You know, as all this is going on, the the conversation will always start and end with, you know, our mission and our vision, right? To empower more entrepreneurs, to, you know, create a thriving community, to make sure that we're focused on our customers, not the competition, right? And that was, like, everything was always anchored to that. You know, we focused a lot on, we talk a lot about an abundance mindset, right? So it, we, we never thought of it as a zero sum game, right? If we work, win, we will lose. It was, how do we, you know, you know, intentionally grow without, you know, making bad decisions that we can't walk back through the door, right? And so that was another kind of mindset that we had was, is, is our plan reversible if it ends up not working? Right. And, you know, what is the minimum viable test that we can do? So we, you know, we had a testing mindset, we had an abundance mindset and honestly, like a business mindset, like this is a business. Anything that we do needs to ladder back up to an intentional outcome and having everyone on the leadership team rally around those three concepts and bring their area of expertise to the table in in filtering through those ideas no idea was ever precious right but you know kyle is thinking about does it still align with our vision don is looking at it you know are we able 
to message to this authentically in a way that makes sense. Ken is looking at, can we afford to do this, right? <laughs> you know, Lori is looking at, you know, if, you know, if you bring me a sale qualified lead that, that, you know, can I nurture that conversation to close, you know, and Megan, who was our, our, you know, head of operations, like, can we deliver on this promise operationally? And everyone is looking at an idea with a, with a, a commitment to understand what that idea is going to mean from their lens and then collaboratively talking through it to go, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to do? And once a decision is made, commit to it, to see the experiment through was, was really important. And I think, you know, it, it, it impacts the way that we work at, at Curious and at, at Closers is really start with the people, right? Like really, you gotta, you gotta trust the people that you're working with and you have to trust them to bring their A game and you have to trust them to, you know, have respect and appreciation for your point of view from your seat. And if that works and you guys are aligned there as a team, you can tackle anything. Then the rest is just pudding, as we say. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So, Gario, the million dollar question that everybody out there is asking, what did this campaign do? What did it drive? You know, what was the end, the end result of all of this culmination of thinking. And I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of timing as well. Like how long did it, from the time that WeWork entered the market to the aha moment that you found sort of the solution, the customer, and then you did customer surveys, et cetera. What was that time frame like? Tell us, tell us that. And then also million dollar question, what did it drive? What was the end goal? Right. So start to finish in terms of WeWork announced they're coming in and we got to figure it out was a quarter, <laughs> literally a quarter. Like we had to, three months, we had to figure, we had to come up with a plan. And again, that when I mentioned before, that, that three months forced constraint, right? So we couldn't come up with ideas that were so big that they would take, you know, you know, you know, a year to execute. We had to have something that, that we could, you know, we had enough cash flow to, you know, get through the quarter. Right. And we had to have a plan moving forward. Right. So that was like a quarter that that's what it was. And the, from, from WeWork opening their downtown location to putting together the plan and then executing on the plan that that was just the strategy moving forward, you know, intentionally going after that revenue stream incrementally. And the proof is fuel still here. Like literally, like it, it was literally, we probably had, I don't want to misquote this, but we had a deadline. Like it, because, you know, if, if we can't come up with a solution to stop the bleeding, it was going to be going out of business. This is, you know, again, this is why, you, you know, you got to love your finance function at your organization and, you know, be intentional about understanding it not accounting, but managerial finance, because you really have to understand, like, when your CFO says, this is, you know, the platform is burning, you need to understand, like, what does that mean? Can't remember our exact timeline, but we knew if we didn't fix this and come up with a solution, we would not have the cash flow to, you know, to stay open and we'd have to start making difficult decisions. Fortunately, we didn't get there because the cash flow, we were able to replace the bleeding with, 
with the cash flow from these non-member meetings quietly, of course. And then the the WeWork story started to unravel, and that a sigh of relief because it's like okay. <laughs> 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 like because <laughs> if they if to me, you know, if they had hit the public markets and got an inflow of cash with that narrative, like you know. Pack up, pack up your toys and go home. Like there's literally no way we would have been able to compete in in that in that space. And secondly, you know, I would say, and this is just another key lesson that I learned from this was in terms of timing and you know, kind of when things happen is making sure that the math works for you, not the competition. Because we had no idea, like we work was, was coming up with weird metrics like member adjusted EBITDA and all these these things that like we couldn't take that to to our bank and say hey we have this thing called member adjusted ebitda that's it's not it's not general accounting principles don't worry about it it's a few collective it's a cocoa metric this is what you need to, to you know give us a line of credit against like that you can't make you can't do that so being intentional with understanding like you know what cash flow realities are you working with and plan backwards from that. Yeah, really important moving forward. Yeah, like this, this gets back to something you mentioned uh, much earlier on, which is marketers, especially like marketers in leadership positions, obviously, but it, even, even further down, I think this is where I would say a lot of marketing teams go wrong is they don't really understand the business. They understand the marketing model and they understand the marketing funnel and heck they probably, even understand, you know, maybe even things like payback period, let's just say, although that's a stretch for a lot, for a lot of them, but they, a lot of them don't have a good grasp of the revenue, like the, the impact of the revenue model and how that filters down into cash flow and things like that. And I think that's where I think a lot of marketing leaders are missing a, we'll call it a teaching or training opportunity for a lot of the, you know, I would say pretty much anybody director level and below. Now, do you need every single person to know that? I don't know. That's maybe questionable, but definitely manager level and above, I think for sure. Yeah. I, I, I would say everybody should, should do it. Just like, just like social media is kind of a, you know, you have to have at least have a working knowledge of it. I think it's table stakes right now. I mean, exactly. if, if you're not on LinkedIn, then are you even in business? Right. <laughs> if you're not on LinkedIn, do you even <laughs> right. Do you even work? Do you even work if you're not on LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, I agree. One hundred percent. And it's fine. And when people say like, you know, what are? Um, and I, I, I give advice to 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 up and coming marketing folks, recent graduates, and they say like, what should I learn? Should I learn analytics? Should I learn you know PPC? Should I learn social? Should I learn? And I say like, there's two skills that you need to learn. Everything else. You got the school training around it and you're gonna the fact that you're here means that you love it right so you're gonna just organically you're gonna just keep continuing to learn and stretch the two things that you have to learn and really nerd out over and appreciate is sales because you're you're, you're always selling you're either selling yourself you're selling your ideas you're selling to a customer it makes your marketing so much stronger and you have to learn managerial finance and you don't you know it It'll help you with your personal finances as well, but it'll also help you frame your ideas and the strategies that you're putting together and so on. You filter it through the realities 
of the business. And you can ask smart questions yeah. and you don't need to learn it on your own. You can go ask the whoever has that area of responsibility in your organization. They're more than happy to, to, to kind of take you out to lunch and you know give you the, the, the high level overview. But those two skills, sales and managerial finance, wherever you are in the organization are two things that you got to learn. Yep. I, I always say I, I kind of definitely agree with you on sales. That's that's one lesson. We, we, we learned the hard learned. way for sure. But I, I always say it's data concepts and business concepts. You learn those two things. The marketing, you already, like you said, you already went to school for, and you can pick that up as you go because it's, but it's those two things you need to absolutely understand. So Gary, I mean, you, you showed us the proof. You got us to the point. No, it's time to get uh, to the point. Oh, it's time to get yeah. to the point. I'm sorry. We haven't gotten to the we point. Have, well, we got true. to many points along the way, but but yeah. the show is called Show Me the Proof. You showed us the proof of what you did and how you got there and the challenges and the emotions and all the, the, the things that were happening. Now we want to get to the point. So we always say that, you know, our listeners out there want to know how can they replicate your success? Now, granted, we've already set the stage that this is a very unique story, right? Not everybody works in a, in a owns a co-working space or works for co-working space. And not everybody is dealing with the thousand pound gorilla coming into their market. But the, 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 the story of David and Goliath is one as old as the hills, as they say, and, and that is really what you were up against. It was David and Goliath. And so I know that, that you have a very methodical way, and you've shown that to us throughout the story. But let's break it down even further. What are the key steps that allowed you as David to bring down Goliath? It's great. Oh, got it. I love that. I love that frame, that framing. Regardless of what size company you are, you're going to have competition. And the competition could be your customers not doing anything, right? They're, they're choosing not to solve the problem that you're, you're, you, you solve. The, the process, and again, it's the same for a startup as it is for a Fortune 500 company. It's, it's four stages, right? The first is research. So this is where you're, you know, looking at data, find, using the data to become directionally correct around where do you need to dig deeper in, and then talking to real people. Your sales team can give you a lot of that information, kind of the questions to ask, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you need to be talking to customers and finding out um, what problem are they trying to solve and you know, position your product or service as the solution to that problem. Right. So researching to find that out. I and mean, obviously you want to make sure that it, it is you know tied to your business outcomes as well. Right. So where are you going to focus your energy? The second step is, you know, your messaging strategy. Right. So what is the narrative? What is the story? Like what is the sales and marketing coming together to you know form a cohesive narrative that is going to resonate with that customer or that potential client or that prospect or that existing customer that you're trying to upsell, right? Like what is that messaging strategy and define that as a team? And then what's your channel strategy going to be? And I just want to point out your channel strategy does not have to be digital, right? For example, you know, our channel strategy was, well, digital email, right? We, we reached out and invited folks to come to the, to come to these events that we were hosting because the messaging strategy for them was you're entrepreneurial, you want to continue to grow in your career. And we have these learning opportunities that, you know, you know, we want to give you access to, right. That the channel strategy was reaching out to them, finding them on LinkedIn, but reaching out to them intentionally and inviting them to that event. 
right? So the channel strategy doesn't necessarily mean PPC, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, posting on social. It's a combination of things, right? So think of it as, as your sales funnel. And the last thing is just getting it done as cost efficiently as possible, right? You know, again, we can always do the cool and exciting things, but as marketers, you know, I, I challenge us to figure out what is the minimum viable test that we can do to validate the, the solution or the strategy that we've put together, right? And reframe the value that we're bringing, not as here's all the marketing stuff that I'm doing, but rather I've saved us money by doing it this way versus another way. That's also you know, value that marketers can bring to the table as well. So yeah, it's research, coming up with a messaging strategy, coming up with your channel strategy and getting it done. And I would say, I think you're being very humble because you've oversimplified it. There's two things that you mentioned earlier that I want to make sure that we we bring back here because you spent a lot of time identifying the ICP, the ideal client profile. And you mentioned earlier in the conversation that not only did you come up with the, the, psych, the demographics of who these people are, but also the psychographics, how they think, what they want, what they need, what are their pain points. And even further to that, you went even deeper and said, what disqualifies them? You know, what are some, the qualification criteria, but also the disqualification criteria? What would make this ideal client profile or this lookalike ideal client profile not really be the right person that we're going through? So I do want to make sure that we bring that back into this part of the conversation because that was a huge part of what you did and is also a huge part of what we as marketers need to be doing. And then secondly, we, we underscored this quite a bit earlier in the conversation, but talking to your customers, talking to those ideal client profile, ideal client uh, personas, talking to them, understanding really from their perspective and their point of view, what is really the pain point that they need solved and and what are the ways in which we're going to solve them, the messaging, the things that are going to resonate. So I, I do want to make sure we, we underscore those because that was huge a part of what you did and, and what really led you and your team to be able to, to find that solution and deliver that message straight to those people. So I love the methodology. Thank you for sharing that. We often ask at, at this point of the show, you know, what are the kinds of tools that you as a marketer are using to execute this? You know, to In this case, we're, we're looking at the David and Goliath scenario. What were some of the tools that you used? And you had mentioned way back in the conversation that you were looking at Toolstack and trying to reverse engineer if you could even afford some of the potential tools that 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 WeWork was using. And you said it was just not viable in, 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 in the cash flow projections. So really tell us what were some of the tools that you were using that helped you to to execute this campaign from start to finish? Yeah. So I'll give you kind of the the, the high level for, for, for each of the stages, right? So research jobs using the jobs to be done framework and lean startup methodology. So those two frameworks is how we identify the need, right? So that pain point there, hands down, those two, those two will, will, will help you get there. As far as the messaging strategy goes, story brand. So we have an enhanced version of it um, now, but if you're a marketer getting started and you're trying to figure it out, how do you come up with a messaging strategy, figuring out that aligns with both sales and marketing, that's a very good place to start. That was, that was kind of our base. As far as channel strategy goes, HubSpot. 
So really defining the sales pipeline, you know, the different stages from prospecting to connecting to pitching and bridging to asking for the next step to overcoming objections, having those stages clearly defined and figuring out what are the marketing strategies that we need to do in order to move someone through the different stages was really important. And it was also the way that we were able to identify, is it working or not? Is it moving the needle, right? Because we may, you know, we may be in QuickBooks, it looks like, you know, we're not going to hit our revenue, but we have a ton of opportunities sitting in overcoming objections that we just need to move over, right? So now, you know, because we're able to visualize our sales pipeline in HubSpot, now we know exactly where we need to put our marketing dollars and our marketing energy, right? So HubSpot in terms of channel structure and then all the cool stuff, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and so on, those are all tools, but they all feed into HubSpot, right? And then execution, find uh, a creative partner that understands what you're trying to accomplish and is on the same page with you, what you're trying to do, right? Like if you, I mean, you, you guys, you know, do content and strategy and, and so on, you know, if you're coming up with a, you know, if the, if the channel is content needs to be filling that, 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 that strategy, working with somebody, you know, that under, or a team that understands, like, you gotta, like, the strategies that we're putting together and the content we're creating has to ladder up to a business outcome becomes really important. So that execution, it's not about the skill set of the creative or the designer or so on. They have to understand what are you trying to accomplish from a business perspective in order to help you get it done. Yeah, those are those are the those are the stages and those are the the, the, the tools and frameworks. Mr. Gario Harrison, you brought the proof and you showed us the point. Thank you. This was so good. This was so good. I loved it. I loved it. Oh, this is so much fun. This is so much fun. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, okay. I know that there's probably a million other questions that we want to ask. And well, there are. We have the lightning well, round. Well, we do have the lightning round. You showed us the proof. You've gotten to the point. Let's go to the lightning round. Mike, take us there. Take us to the lightning round. All right. I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to a bunch of these since we just talked about a lot, but what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Hmm. There's, there, there's two, there's two main ones. It's, you know, con conversions to sales, but also cash flow. Like how much is it costing me to do the things that we're trying to do? So we're constantly trying to figure out how do we keep costs down and increase the throughput of our sales you know, how can marketing support that? What is a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing out this year? It's not testing out. It's actually, you know, doing it. It is co-creating content with your ICP, right? So you know your ideal client profile. How do you create opportunities to, you know, fast track those relationships with the folks that you want to do business with? And that can be you know, podcasts that can be webinars that can be events, but we're moving into a creator led economy right now. Just, I think that's the next phase of, of the internet and everyone at that point creating an opportunity to, to co-create is going to be the next wave. 
So I'm excited yeah. to continue to push to push into that. Yeah, that's exciting. I might have a bonus question for you on that topic. What is a tool or platform you use in your work that you couldn't live without? LinkedIn Sales Navigator. <laughs> what is your least favorite business word or phrase? Ah, least business. Hmm. In other words, what's a business word or phrase you absolutely hate? Oh man, there's there's so many of them. ROI without context. So the, the it's, it's 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 you know the phrase is ROI, but when when people say ROI, I always follow with, okay, what do you mean? Because people can you can assign a return on investment to anything, including vanity metrics, right? And you know, like our, our CFO used to say at, at, at Fueled. I can't make payroll with likes, but if, if that's an investment that you want to make and I can get you a bunch of likes, you've seen the return, right? So I think it's just become a saturated term that I'd love to see more people and marketers and, and folks start, start to use plain English um, a little bit more so we know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> what is your favorite podcast? Oh man, that is. You can only pick one. I know you listen to a lot. I can only no, pick one. you can you can share all <laughs> of kidding, them. <laughs> um, there's one that I'm listening to a lot, a lot lately. I listen to it every morning. Snacks daily, right? And the reason, the reason why I I really like it is it's two 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 dudes. They've been friends since college, but when it comes to creating a podcast that's interesting as well as entertaining and just turning something that is as boring as business news into something that's fun and enjoyable. I think they're the gold standard of what I would call kind of B2B entertainment moving forward. So I, I, I love listening to them. I always laugh every morning listening to those guys. And yeah, like the, the way that they produce that show, they give a lot of behind the scenes stuff around it as well. So just the whole package of a podcast, something that I really 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 enjoy and, that one out i haven't heard of that one yeah yeah I, and a, kind of a follow-up question to that do you listen to it via audio or do they have a video that you do you watch the video what's your preferred method 100 i will say too like just because you know you're able to to get you gave me permission to give more than one i really enjoyed your mixing business and pleasure podcast yeah. and the reason being is you know we kind of think of, of, of life as, you know, you work to, to do the family thing, right? And I think what I loved about your podcast as a concept was you start with the life thing, right? And the business becomes secondary. And just hearing that there are other couples out there that think that way and approach things that way was really, was really refreshing. So that I would put that one up there as well. Gario, well, you're giving you. you're giving me all the feels today. I I I, I have a, I, I literally am like on the verge of tears. So for those listening, um, there are tw twenty six episodes 20, that are available episodes. for anybody who wants to listen. Yeah, for those listening that may not realize, Mike and I started our first podcast called Mixing Business with Pleasure, in which we interviewed couples in business. And Mike and I are, are a couple in business. And it was really a very selfish endeavor because we just wanted to connect with others that that were like us, that were a husband and wife or a partner, you know, a, a romantic partner that that were also business partners. And it, it 
turn out to be a very life-changing experience for us. The show's currently on hiatus because we wanted to really double down and put our efforts on this podcast, Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We do hope to pick it back up, maybe towards the back half of 2021, early 22. But it 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 led us to some amazing relationships that, that we'll talk about on that show <laughs> when we pick it back up. But Gario, thank you so much. That that really means a lot to me. And I hope others that are listening that may be in a relationship with their partner, their spouse will, will go check it out. Or are considering it. Or are considering um, it, exactly. Getting us back to the lightning round. Thank you, Gario. Along the same lines as the podcast question, what is your favorite business or marketing book? And you got shelves full of them behind you. Yeah, so I'm... There's, there's two that I'd recommend. Um, accounting for the number phobic, right? So this is, you know, it's it's basically managerial finance if you're not in accounting, right? That was that was that was a book that I picked up way back, and it helped me, it gave me the language to have conversations with our CFO, right? So as a marketing seat, it just really helped me become a better marketer. And the, the one that I'm recommending a lot now is Fix This Next, right? And it's all about prioritizing, you know, if you're looking at your business, what are the things that you need to be really focused on, um, you know, in the order you should be focused on on them, right? So. Mike, add that to the Amazon cart, please. <laughs> Actually, I think both of those are going to go. There's a few like, not accounting for dummies, but there's a few like finance and accounting books that I've that I've read because I'm obviously not an accountant or a finance guy, but the, like you, it was something that very early on, I'm like, all right, this is something that you just need to know. That was not that was not one of them. I think I might have to check that one out too. You know, Gario, he says he's not finance, but let me tell you, I have a very strict budget on what I can spend <laughs> here. So I, I tell you, it's it's a constant battle. I'm, I'm telling yes, my I, I do get to play CFO. I play, I play one on TV. <laughs> he plays it in our business and in our marriage, but thankfully, because because we all know that, well, maybe we don't know, but I'm a spender. <laughs> so so thankfully, I married I married right in that regard, because otherwise, not it would not be pretty. Gabby's got has got some creative ones usually. Who is a B two B marketing expert that you admire on LinkedIn? B two B marketer that I admire on LinkedIn. Hmm. I'm going to go with Alex Leibowitz. Is it Leibowitz? He's the, 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 the guy from Morning Brew. And the reason why I'm choosing okay. him is because he, he's kind of three, three things at the same time. He's like a founder. So the founder story, he's very honest about how he navigates around, you know, just anxiety and just like the, the human side of, of, of running a business. And he also has a podcast called the Founders Journal that really talks a lot about the side of being a founder that a lot of people don't talk about. So because of the way that he's doing that, and he's, he's, he's part of this movement of like build in public where he's sharing things as they're happening. So I really, I really enjoy listening to seeing the stuff that he's sharing. I, I really like that. That definitely resonates with both Mike and I, and I'm going to have to add him to my list as well. All right. We're going to do some some good bonus questions here. So Gario and I, we are all uh, based here in the Twin Cities, and we all know that it's been kind of a rough rough 18 months. I mean, all over the country, but but especially here in the Twin Cities, there's been a lot of 
a lot of unrest, a lot of social turmoil. But you have spent a lot of time downtown, especially at, at your job at Coco. And kind of a little known fact, and, I, and I'm always having to, to convince my out-of-town friends and family that here in the Twin Cities, we have some amazing restaurants. We have a very strong culinary scene, some great uh, chefs and restaurants here. So I'm curious, what is your favorite restaurant in the Twin Cities that you're looking forward to, to maybe exploring again this, this summer now that things are starting to look different than last year hands down it's a it's a it's a restaurant they have two two restaurants now one in st paul and one and one here in one in minneapolis it's called pimento it's a jamaican restaurant so i'm, I'm originally from jamaica and it is it is a slice of home that you know typically you hear you know jerk jerk chicken or things like that and it's 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 not quite the way that it's made back home. This this restaurant, it, it's all it, it's authentic. So pimento. I love it. I love pimento. So that's where we're going. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do that that double date at pimento. Okay, I'm curious. So we all know kind of the story of of what happened with WeWork and and kind of that that whole embroilment. Since that has happened, and and certainly before the pandemic, this was very prevalent, and I will say in the Twin Cities as well, we started seeing a lot more micro co-working spaces coming up. So co-working spaces that were really geared around a, a certain demographic or a certain genre of business or, or, or you know, female-led co-working spaces, LGBTQ co-working spaces. I'm curious, I know you're not currently in the co-working space, but you spent a lot of time in there. You've established yourself as a leader in that space. What do you believe is the sort of the next iteration of co-working spaces getting that we are close to being quote unquote post pandemic? Wow, that's a really good, that's a really good question. I think, I, I, I do believe that we are going to end up in a hybrid situation right so we're going to optimize for both in person and and virtual right or being able to collaborate virtually the the reason people come together in order to collaborate in person is going to be a lot more intentional right so as a result the spaces that are able to be modular and adjust and change to facilitate different modes of work and collaboration are going to be the ones that 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 thrive in this new environment and you know if we think back to like i i think we work is going to thrive in this environment right because they and and feel collective will as well because they have built brands around around collaboration and around you know kind of community and as we get back to work, I think, I think companies are going to define for themselves what that collaboration needs to look like when it does happen and find spaces that will allow them to do that. Does that make sense? And because mm -hmm. co-working is, you know, cost efficient in terms of an, as an operating expense, we're going to see more of those type of solutions versus trying to flesh out an office park or a or an office space and carry that overhead of maintaining that yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good there. Ooh, 
Gario, thank you so much for joining us on the show for all the amazing, amazing value that you've brought today. You've showed us the proof. We've got to the point. We had a, a dynamic and awesome lightning round. Everything that you've shared with us today is a masterclass for everyone listening out there in marketing today. And, and you know, we kind of said this, the David and Goliath, whatever industry you're in, whatever challenge you are faced with, you know, you're always faced with this sort of David and Goliath and those listening today and, and that are going to come back and keep listening to this episode are going to have the exact steps that they need to take in order to defeat their own Goliath. Gario, thank you so much. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? Um, start at LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. And you were going to say something. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. What, oh, I was going to say thank you. This was, this was so much fun. I mean, I always enjoy our conversations and this was, this was no different. I'm excited to listen to the other episodes that you guys are, are, are going to be putting out. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And we're going to have having you on. This is a, this is a new bar that we are setting on this show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, it's also officially the longest uh, episode we've recorded so far. It is, but yes. the, the bar has been set for <laughs> us and for our guests, but also for our listeners. So Gario, thank you so much. And everyone listening today, tune in again for next week's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.